Okay. I'm so glad you came back. What a teacher needs. If no one showed up, I would have been really sad. Um, oh, let's see. Okay, I also want to say hello to the evening study on the video. Um, they watch our video, and so we're all doing the same thing. So we're really a big group together, so I love that. Um, okay, we have three chapters to cover this morning. So buckle up, buttercup. That's all I've got to say. Um, hopefully you have your handout. If not, they're over there. It doesn't bother me if you get up or have to run to the restroom or get a handout. Um, just to help you tag along. Also, on the back of the handout, there are some just descriptions of words I'm going to be talking about, like sanctify, Passover, circumcision. I'm not going to go into what that is. Hopefully, you know that, but why it was important, and also Passover. So that's just in um, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. So anyway, just I just want y'all to be able to. Uh, to um, follow me if I forget to pause long enough to define those things. So um, let's start off. I'm not going to read all of our scripture because we don't have time, but I do want, I mean, it is a Bible study, not a Susan's opinion study. So I do want us to read some excerpts from our passage for this week. So open your Bibles to Joshua 3. And I'm going to just start off reading the first 13 verses, and then we'll talk about each chapter one, one at a time. So our first point will be power of a miracle. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. 
So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people and blah, blah, all that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, not blah, 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 but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to say blah, blah, blah about God's Word, but the rest is you read already. So, okay, can you imagine? I just really think sometimes these are so story-ish to us that we really need to put ourselves in the sandals of these poor women Let's just think about the women with the kids, with the fiance up ahead, with your sisters, with your friends. And somebody says to you, sanctify yourself because the Lord of all the earth is about to do wonders among you. Can you imagine? Um, And the wonder is going to be, hey, you sister, you girl, you woman, you mother, you wife, you daughter, you friend, you are about to have to cross the flooded Jordan plain to get to the promised land. And I don't know if they really had swimming lessons in the desert. Do you? I don't think water was a problem, so I doubt it. So the problem is there's a flooded Jordan plain in front of them. And the way it is in the Jordan when it's flooded, that means all the brush that's on either side of the river is flooded underwater. So it's like walking through a jungle in water. So this is not like, oh, I think we could, you know, get on a horse and cross. Uh Uh-uh, it's raging waters. And so this is a big problem and it's scary. And the minute, say if they could swim across, they're immediately in enemy territory. So it's just, and it's like two million people. I mean, this is a problem, okay? So what does God tell the people to do? He tells them to sanctify themselves. And that means you need to get ready. Just like if I were told the queen, well, no, not the queen, the prince of England, is, the king of England is coming to visit. Guess what? I would change out of this. I would, I would actually take a shower for him. You know what I'm saying? How much more so when God is about to do wonders that you get dressed to be ready? And sanctify means y'all need to wash your clothes and you need to abstain from sexual relations. You need to be clean, you need to be ready. And, and can you imagine, can you imagine the laundry situation? <laughs> y'all, I mean, I guess I'd be washing in the flooded Jordan. I don't know. I'm just getting your people ready. Um, I mean, there was no time for sex in this situation <laughs> because they were doing laundry 24-7. Um, so the, anyway, the, just to get ready, to be dressed and ready because something special is about to happen. And for the priests, they were told, you are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant and you are going to lead the way. And just imagine being those Levites that had to be the ones with such faith to put their foot in that water. Because the minute they did it, it dried up. So what's happening is upstream, the water piles up like a heap. I would love to know what that looks like. And later, in I think four, it talks about where that happened specifically. So it's not just like this magic thing that it appeared that the water was not there, Uh uh-uh. Like it literally dried up upstream. And then it was dry to cross. Okay, when we had all the rain, the, the big time when we had all the rain here in Fort Worth, how muddy was your yard for days after? 
So think about just the logistics of this. It was dry so they could cross in their carts and that the wheels wouldn't get stuck. And I mean, just the, the mess and the muck of mud was gone. And this riverbed was totally dry and passable. And so the priests had to do this first. And so I want to take a moment because what they were carrying was so special. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember from our study last fall, we talked about the, the tabernacle and the furniture that went in it. And in the Holy of Holies, in that one little room that the high priest saw once a year, was this Ark. And there's a picture of it. And of course, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but this looked like a pretty good picture of overlaid with gold, these cherubim guarding it, and the top of the ark was known as the mercy seat. And it was the throne of God himself. Now, inside the ark were three things. One was the table, the tablets that God gave Moses with the law on it. The second thing was a little golden vessel full of manna, okay, that obviously did not spoil. And then there was Aaron's rod that I think it was, let me see if I wrote this down. There was an incident in, the, in like maybe Numbers or maybe Deuteronomy, I can't remember, where there was a, another rebellion and all the people put down the rods to see which one had the authority from God. And Aaron's rod not only grew leaves, but blossomed and produced almonds. And that blossoming rod is in the ark too. So you think about what those three things represent. God's law, his directions for them to obey and to prosper. The provision that God made them in the desert of I will feed you always. And then the authority of the priests and of Aaron for them to follow. And how just that is, the, that is what is leading the way. And it represents God himself being with them. And think about it. They didn't see this ark much at all. For 40 years, it's been hidden in this room. And now they get to see it and how special that would have been. So why far back? Why so far back? Well, it's pretty specific. It's so they could follow the ark. They could actually see where it's going. And it's a, maybe a few football fields in front of them. Um, and so that, that this mass of people could actually know the way to go. So this says God is their king. This throne is leading the way. God goes first before them. He doesn't, he's not at the back. Think about, you know, armies you see maybe if you watch, you know, movies about King Arthur or other things. Think about the king is always back on the hill watching all his people get killed. This king is in front. He's saying, uh, you have to get to my people through me. And how encouraging that would be. And so what happens is the priests go into the middle of the Jordan bed and stop so everybody can hurry by. So you with your kids or you with your friends or you with your family or your older parents could get across. And they were not moving until everybody was across. So can I just pause here? And let's apply, if this is how God treated them, how does God treat us today? Jesus is our king, and he has gone ahead of us. He's gone ahead of us. He provides for us. He is the authority. He gives us, he lives out the law perfectly, and he goes before us. 
as we live and as we die and go to the promised land. He goes ahead. He has gone before us in death and in resurrection. He has provided that way for us and we can go scary as it is on dry land knowing that he is ahead of us. Hurrying, hurrying, we're not, this is what I love about, in I think chapter five it says that they hurried and I just love that little verb and I think in Melissa's homework, she asked, why did they hurry? And I, that, that question is just stuck with me because I'm like, I don't know, isn't it obvious? It was a freaking Jordan River, you know? <laughs> we're getting across this thing, you know? I'm not waiting, but just that, that that's a real live picture of what was happening. It was pretty much organized chaos, I'm sure, because think about getting two million people anywhere. But just the, the slight, we got to go. We got to get across this. And I love that. And so are we trusting him, even if we're panicky, even if we're, we're hurrying because we're, we're a little scared that God himself has gone before us and is waiting and will not let anything flood until we're safely across. And then as soon as the priests step out, that water comes back like that, proving that this was a miracle. It was a huge miracle. So Davis, one of the commentators I used to study, says this is theologic. Theologic. Theo means God. They are learning a logic and a way of thinking based on this miracle because it's powerful for the people. It's powerful for Joshua and that that they are seeing him as Moses' um, substitute, that the next person in charge, and that God himself is doing this with Joshua at the lead. And God says, I'm going to do this to increase your clout among the people. But also, this, these, these adults had never seen the... If they had seen the Red Sea, it was because they were really little. They were already born. Um, but most of, a lot of these people were born after the Red Sea, okay? So they get their own miracle. They get their own major body of water parting with dry land crossing. And they get to see that he, God is the living God. He is more powerful than any God that was in Egypt and any God that's in Canaan right now. And then lastly, the power of this miracle is for the neighboring nations because it says their hearts melted. They got that sick feeling in their stomach of, oh no, and word traveled fast. Did you hear the Jordan dried up and that this people crossed? Notice no one was waiting for them with bows and arrows and whatever they had right then. They crossed and stopped. So... In chapter 4, we see how God tells them to remember the miracle, remember the Jordan, okay? So let's read chapter 4, just a few verses, starting in 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask the fathers in time to come, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. 
that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear your Lord, your God, forever. Okay, so we have the dirty dozen, which means 12 men had to get 12 rocks out of the middle of the river. So these dirty rocks, they had to, and I'm picturing them big. I'm picturing them that Joshua had to get 12 strong men. And they got these rocks and carried them out of the middle of the river to remember what happened, to build like a monument. Um, Later we see Samuel ask, uh, the people in Israel to mark a win, a victory with, with rocks, and he called it an Ebenezer. So this is like an Ebenezer. It's, it's, it's not just for them to remember, but for them to tell their children about, and it's something tangible to point at, just like we would point at something, you know, like uh, in Fort Worth, if there was something, um, you know, this building was in memory of this person that would, that somebody wanted that person to be remembered, and it's, it's something solid, and it, you know, if as time went on and they said, yeah, I remember when the Jordan dried up and maybe some great-grandchildren would be going, there goes Grandma Moses again. What's she talking about? You know, no, you can actually go and see the rocks. These came out of the Jordan and it was believable and it was something that would really give power to this memory. There is power to remembering and it's really important. And actually, Romans 15:4 says that we're supposed to remember based on these stories, the past of these people. Romans 15:4 says, "For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope." And that's why I love Old Testament because in Romans, it's saying, look, go read the stories because they happened and that you'll learn from them and actually it'll encourage you because it reminds you of who God is. In Psalm 77, 9 through 15, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm redeemed your people the children of Jacob and Joseph. This is just the psalmist saying, when you're tempted to to go, has God forgotten me? Remember God. Remember these things. Remember what he did already. And um, in the Friday email, there's going to be a blog. And in one of the blogs, it's talking about remembering. And she has a great just, just paragraph of basically... How many yeses has God given me? He's given me so many yeses. But it feels like if I don't get this yes, God is not faithful. And that's so us forgetting God. And, he's, and she's saying, like, basically, why would God take you through the Jordan? Why would God take you through the Red Sea and then say, good luck with all that? No. They start this journey with such a big miracle that that power of it will fuel them if they will just remember.
and we have little Ebenezer's ourselves, don't we? Now, I have not gone through the Red Sea or the Jordan on foot on dry land, but I have gone through some mighty big things, and you have too. One of the things, and this is a silly thing, but it's important to me, is when I knew that I would leave Oxford, Mississippi and start over at 50, and just feeling like it was new and what am I gonna do? And we had, to, we had built our house in Oxford and lived there with our children and raised them there. And it just was, it was such a tangible thing of place for me. And first, the first miracle, God let me leave that really easily. That was a miracle I knew. But the next miracle was when I walked into my house, we were looking with Kelly at our realtor with houses and the one house I got excited about in the laundry room had a window that looked at an arch and I loved arches in my old house and it had greenery growing and it was just the sweetest view out this window that reminded me of home. And I just went, God built this house 10 years ago for me. And just the feel like he saw me and he was preparing a place for me in this new world of Fort Worth, Texas. Now that is a small miracle, but that window is like an Ebenezer for me. So that now when I look out at that window view, now I have to say the winter freeze last year killed the greenery. <laughs> so, you know, the, the allegory only goes so far. But um, I, it just, that's an example of can you find things that are like Ebenezer's to you. My second one is my fifth daughter, Rebecca. I had had a previous daughter, did not name her the family name, Susan Rebecca, from you know a million years of Susan Rebecca's. Don't I, that's another story of why we didn't, and I regretted it. Not that I don't love my third daughter's name, but it was a problem. It was like when I found out now, that was also an unexpected pregnancy, but, when I found out I could have a girl and I told my husband I'm picking the name and we're not arguing about it, like I'd had it, okay, with this ghost of you did not name a daughter Susan Rebecca after your mother and after your grandmother and after the great-grandmother. I mean, this is just Southern ghost, okay? If you're not from the South, I'm sorry. This is just a Southern thing. Um, anyway, I had that daughter and named her Susan Rebecca and I remember in the hospital going, no matter whatever else happens, I got the daughter that named Susan Rebecca. And that sounds so silly saying it now, but I knew God saw that part in my heart. And it wasn't silly to him. Now, you have your own Ebenezer's. They may be a clean cancer bill of health. They may mean a child that you prayed for for years. It may be that you got a job and a career that you never thought you could do, and God has been with you every step of the way. It may be just that you have verses that are sweet little nuggets of just morsels of grace in a depression, in a time of anxiety, in a time of unknownness. There are so many things, and what they tell us is God is the same. God is the same. Today, tomorrow, He is the same as He was to these people. So how can we remember how can we notice that these things are from God and not just, oh, I just did that. Oh, I just found a house. Oh, this is just how we roll. We just have babies or whatever it is for you. No, God does these things and we worship him and thank him. 
And who and what are we remembering? We're remembering him. And if I don't remember what happens, I become really proud. I become pretty grouchy a lot of times and cynical. I'm susceptible to Satan's lies of did God really say he was going to take care of you? Because I've not really noted and given God the glory for taking care of me until now. Okay, well, let's land on chapter 5. Because they left Egypt slaves. And they are going into the promised land as heirs and children. So I'm just going to read a few verses in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in the place, their place in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Okay, so I want us to kind of hold the bookends of last semester's Bible study and this semester's, because here's this monumental closure. Okay, first of all, it's been a minute since they left Egypt, okay? It's been like 40 years. Do you know how long, if they had gone, just walked straight from Egypt to the Promised Land and gone on in just on foot, just walked there, do you know how long it would have taken? 11 days. 11 days stretched into 40 years because of their disobedience. Because remember, they had come up to go into the Promised Land and they chickened out. They didn't trust God to be enough. And I love to see how God's, the, the, the consequences of that had done good for the people. They did not balk at it this time. They were not scared. I mean, they were scared, but they weren't. They were following that ark through. That time of discipline has brought 
forth obedience. And I want us to remember that in our times of things getting stretched out and the, just the consequences of us not obeying, that God has good for us even in that. But this is what's crazy. Think about how the other, think about how Egypt joked about Israel for 40 years. Look at those slaves. They can't find their way out of a garbage bag or whatever, a brown bag. Look at them. They're just wandering around like idiots. Think about that you would have totally done that as an Egypt, Egyptian. You would have t- said, why? It takes 11 days for an Egyptian. You know, how many Israelites does it take to screw in a light bulb? I mean, it's all the jokes, all the jokes, okay? And God at this moment is saying, I'm remo- removing the reproach of Egypt on you. You know, this is an argument Moses made um, in Deuteronomy 9.28. I'm not going to read it, but go back and look at Moses' argument to God. When God was done with his people, they were being crazy rebellious, and God was like, forget this. I'm going to go with Moses. Moses begs God, if you destroy this people, think about how everybody's going to laugh at you. Think about how your reputation of God himself is going to be assaulted if you don't keep your promise to this people you've aligned yourself with. So this is a monumental closure of you are no longer those people. You are a fresh family going in as heirs to the promise, not slaves of Egypt. And then he gives them two signs, two wedding rings, so to speak, of this relationship. The first one is circumcision, and the second one is Passover. Circumcision has not happened to these people, and I don't know why. I've read a couple of reasons why. One is they're just disobedient. (laughs) They just haven't done it, and they have neglected that sign of the covenant. Another um, theory is that God himself withdrew it because they were so disobedient and so did not treat him as their God. And the, the, the only thing I can think is if, if Brian Davis said, y'all have been so bad, ladies, that none of your children can get baptized for 40 years, we would die. We're like, don't mess with our babies. Um, and so I don't know which it is, but I know either it's because they were disobedient or because they were disobedient. You know, that's what God, that's what the writers like because they were rebellious. Um, this circumcision is a big deal. First of all, is this how any battle strategy starts? Hey, we're going to circumcise all our men. No. First of all, no man would ever sign up for war. That would be the one reason. And it just is not the best tactic if you need your men to be on their feet and ready to fight. Okay? So, um, this had to happen, though, because it was a sign of the covenant. It just had to happen. The other reason is if you were going to take, uh, take part in the Passover, you had to be circumcised. That meant if you were an Israelite, that meant if you were a slave, that meant if you were a foreigner who wanted to join Israel, you had to be circumcised. And so this had to happen before any, any other thing happened. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, and Deuteronomy 36, this shows what's happening in the heart. It's not just check a box. It's I want your hearts to be marked my own. You belong to me in your heart. And like I said, it rolled away the reproach of Egypt. 
Um, and Paul mentions that this Old Testament sign is a spiritual reality in Romans 2.29, a circumcision of the heart. So it did leave them vulnerable, though, and it shows again how much they trusted God, that they were just sitting ducks there. But, of course, we know Jericho is locked up tighter than a tick. We're going to look at that next week. The second sign is there's a Passover, and this is what is fascinating, y'all. Joshua 4:19 and Exodus 12, 2 through 3, this shows that they are going across the Jordan on the anniversary of the first Passover. That is no accident. That God, this, this, so what they did is they started celebrating the Passover in Egypt the night before they got out of Egypt. That's the whole story about the, the angel of death would come and judge any house that didn't have the blood over the door including the Israelites. And so this Passover is a meal to mark and to remember that happening. And so then what, ha- what happened after Passover, there was a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread where they would just eat unleavened bread. And you can see them doing that in Joshua 5. So this is crazy, y'all. This is no coincidence that you are the same anniversary that where I freed you from Egypt. I am freeing you from the reproach of Egypt and from wandering. And now you get to go to where you were headed that very day into the promised land. So that is just really cool to me that these two signs are very appropriate for them as they go into the promised land. Now we too have signs of covenant, right? We have ways to remember that we're not slaves to sin, but we're heirs to the promise. The first one is the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, remember me. Remember me by doing this. We remember how he made us his people. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we remember that we're heirs. We are totally forgiven. We are safe. Our identity is not as gossiper, not as cheated on her husband, not as addicted to porn or to spending or to alcohol or to sleeping pills. Your identity is not as the girl who can't fit into her jeans from 16 anymore. You know, whatever it is that brings you shame, whether it should or not, he has freed you from that. He's like, you're not slaves to sin. You're not slaves to your past. You're heirs. You're gods. So what are other ways we can remember? Reading the Bible being around people who will remind you through their stories or through your own stories that you are forgetting that God is with you. Going to church, being surrounded by hymns and songs and spiritual psalms of just truth about God and you and your identity. Now, just in closing, because it is a cool part of the last of chapter 5, is that part where Joshua is about to attack Jericho. And we're going to attack Jericho next week. 
But I want you to remember this. What the last thing Joshua sees is this man, this commander, ready for battle. And he freaks out and he goes, are you for us or for the enemy? And the coolest answer, no. (laughs) I'm for myself. Get behind me. Let's go. You know, it's, it's Jesus. This is because Joshua worshiped. We know this angel is not just an angel. It's a theophany, which means it's a picture of Jesus in the flesh before he was in the flesh. He came and appeared to him. And he is saying, I'm on my side. And that is the story of Joshua, right? And we will end there is whose side are you on? Are you on the side of Satan and your past and the sin as slaves? Or are you on the side as an heir and a brother and sister of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, you have given us such a great salvation. I pray that you would give us the faith to, to walk behind you through scary waters, but to know that it is dry land, that you've created a path for us to be saved as heirs, Lord as those that you just love and adore even when we mess up. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.